0: This is CliffCentral.com. Richard, are we on track with the financial pack for my presentation to the board next week? Well, hopefully. The team's very short-staffed, and it's taking such a long time to find a suitable financial manager for the division. We're way behind on all our forecasts and reporting. Why don't you speak to the finance team? They're a consultancy that can help you with an experienced interim financial manager. You can have somebody to help you almost immediately. They'll hit the ground running with no long-term contracts and no upfront placement fees. Go to thefinanceteam.co.za. Welcome to the practical business section of our business masterclass. I'm Richard Angus, CEO of the finance team, your part-time financial executive solution. Joining me in studio today is Safir Boulay of New Habits, Making Shift Happen. Last week, sorry Safir, I should normally give you a gap there. <laughs> Welcome with us. No gap today. No to <laughs> sorry. Welcome with us, saps. Last week we spoke to Gordon Tabocho, founder of Tractor, talking to us about their sales management tool for FMCGs that want to sell their or market their brands into the informal economy, in traditional spaza shops and the likes. That was a really, really interesting uh, conversation about how the economy, that whole it was a follow-on from the access versus ownership conversation, and just how the the new age economy is shifting. Today we have two interesting entrepreneurs with us. Okay, first we have Voyokazi Numvulu, if I get that right, transaction executive of RH Pupelo, a special purpose uh, acquisition company with interest in the healthcare sector. And then Lebo letzwalo. Let's Let's. Let's swallow. Okay, we've got that. Lebo Letzwalo of Moorish Cuisine Catering, a hundred percent black woman owned catering company. Mm -hmm. so ladies we're going to be talking a little bit about your businesses and yourselves both of you with very interesting stories of how you've got to where you've got to where i'm going to start with you if i may tell us a little bit about the company that you work with and then a little bit more about where it started and how it got to where it is and then i'm going to ask uh, level to give us the same sort of process
1: okay thank you very much richard Mm -hmm. Thank you very much, Richard. Um, RH Bupila is essentially a special purpose acquisition company, um, with interest in healthcare. And mm-hmm. basically what a special purpose in a acquisition company is, is a type of investment fund, mm-hmm. which actually allows the public, um, the, 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 the public investors, um, to be able to invest in a private equity type of, um, investments. So how it started is that we listed um, this company this year on the twelfth of um, July, twenty seventeen.
0: So you listed on the JSE. Yes,
1: we listed on the JSE. Mm-hmm. So what we had to do is we had to raise um, capital for about five hundred million. Um, a, small so na- a small number. It in is actually word. a big number. What did you say?
0: Five uh, hundred million. Trust me, million. If, you, if you've ever had to do uh, uh, that's our notes. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah. I
0: was going to say this. Uh, that's a of, uh, uh, number of new notes uh, on your bank balance. It's it's, yeah. a, it's a big ask in today's day and age to raise $500 million. Let the no listener be uh, taken, taken lightly.
1: Yes. It definitely is a, bit a big ask. And I think what actually helped us is that um, the team that we have, um, has been in the healthcare industry for a while For I think about six years collectively mm. uh-huh. And we started with a fund that is not a, that is not listed Which is RH Managers So we've been doing healthcare infrastructure For about the past three years Which uh-huh. actually uh, gave um, result to the listing of RH Wupula Which basically focuses on um, the brownfield and the acquisition So we're acquiring operational assets
0: Okay, yes. okay Okay, Lebo, tell us a little bit about Moorish Cuisine Catering and where you started.
2: Thanks, Richard. Um, so my company is eight years old, mm-hmm. and um, primarily we cater, excuse the pun, <laughs> we do cater to corporates. And by that <laughs> I mean we provide uh, food um, for you know your normal ex-commuting stuff events. As well as the provision uh, and management of canteens, staff restaurants. So okay. that's what in uh, a we do. Okay,
0: so that's
1: a, th- that's a big kind of concern. <laughs> lots of moving parts. Lots,
0: lots of, of lots of moving parts. Give us some examples mm. of some of your clients, if we can ask you to list some of them.
2: So currently we're running the canteen of uh, Fluor South Africa. We mm-hmm. have in the past run two other corporates canteens mm-hmm. and uh, we do have quite a lot of um I guess blue chip companies on on our portfolio, you know mm-hmm. the likes of Samsung, GSK, um Vula Trust. So many different mm-hmm. um companies but that's now on the you know ad hoc, ad hoc um, catering, catering, catering side. Catering, catering side. Yes.
0: Okay. So ladies Two very different industry spaces, but I'm seeing two very successful black women entrepreneurs seated here in front of me in in studio. Let's talk a little bit about your stories. Okay, so I'm going to ask you to go first tell us a little bit about i read a little bit about your background and was intrigued with with what i learned so tell us your your life story in the in the f- next few minutes tell us a little bit about you where you come from how that, how that grew to being a transactor at rm
1: okay So, I grew up in a village called um, called Mzumkulu, which is in KZN. Mm -hmm. Um, I moved to Joburg in uh, 95 when I was about 12 years old um, to actually pursue my studies. So, I finished my metric in Johannesburg and then um, considered um, pursuing my studies to be a chartered accountant, which was largely influenced by the people around me. Um, So, in that period, I actually stayed with my uncle, who is also an accountant, and I guess that's what informed my decision to become a CA. Mm. And you would know that growing in, growing up in a village, um, you're actually not exposed to a whole lot of opportunities. The only opportunities that you probably know of is being a teacher or a nurse, which my mom is a teacher, and <laughs> that's about the only thing I know. But I guess I was lucky and blessed in a sense that I had an uncle who had actually done something different. Um, mm-hmm. and then I came to Joburg. I registered with UNISA to study my degree, which I had to do part time. Um, so I registered for Become Accounting, um, which took me about four years because I was starting part time and I also had to work at, um, Druid's to supplement the income and actually supplement, um, you know, paying for my varsity fees since I actually didn't have sufficient funds to do it. Um, but in all of that, I think, I had a bit of support in terms of my friends that had um money to go to varsity and they were actually attending university at a regular basis than I did. So they helped me with the questions and everything else and actually we worked together right up until um when I qualified as a chartered accountant. So I did my articles at PwC, okay. qualified in 2009. But I think when I qualified, that's when I realized that Auditing is not essentially the thing that I like doing. <laughs> then. Running I, in
0: after the war and bayoneting the wounded. Okay. Exactly. Yes.
1: <laughs> then I decided to venture out and, um, investments has always been interesting for me. Um, I joined the IDC, um, where I think I learned a lot of, uh, the deal making, um, that I know. Mm-hmm. And when you work with the IDC, it's actually different from all the commercial banks because You Most of the time you get all the businesses Where the commercial banks have decided No, we're not spending our money on that So you need to actually look at those businesses And make them work And assist the entrepreneurs with their dreams And it it was always a challenge in a sense That the entrepreneur comes Mm -hmm. And they're always very optimistic And when you actually have to look at um, Their businesses and try And uh, adjust the numbers that they're giving you it, It was always a challenge But I think, um, I learned a lot from that. And after five years of being at the IDC, that's when I decided I needed a change. And I joined, um, RH Managers, um, a fund that was started in August 2014, which focuses on healthcare infrastructure as well. Um, but the difference between that one and RH Wupila is that, um, RH Managers focuses on the greenfield infrastructure, just developing the licenses that all the doctors have out there. So that's my story, the in a nutshell. Mm. In, a na-
0: in a nutshell, you make it sound so, <laughs> so simple
1: yeah. I also spend a lot of hours working for Trues to get my degree going <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and that's not an easy thing, eh? <laughs> the hours yeah. of standing there <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah Lebo, tell us about your story
2: You know, listening to um I think we've got very similar mm-hmm. um, yeah. um, beginnings um, I'm also from a very small town uh, called Namakale very, uh, in Palabora and um when I matriculated, I came to Joba to study as well. Um, so I went to then Rao. So I did become accounting. Um, I also harbored fantasies about being a CA. Mm-hmm. And, okay. um, <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, I think towards the end of my studies, I realized that, no, this was not for me. Um, but I continued still torturing myself in the finance stream, um, you know, so much so that I did pursue... Um, uh, a postgraduate degree in financial planning, and I did work at one of the financial planning firms, and proceeded to work uh, in banking for many years.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, I was, it was interesting hearing what Andrew was saying earlier about you know the relation, uh, the sales teams, and that that was my life for a long time. I was um, a relationship manager uh, in a bank, mm-hmm. and I looked after many companies, many um, commercial entities, and government entities as well. Um, But what was always clear, I think for me, from a very early age, I've always known what I was passionate about, and that was food. That was... Uh, Making food, you know, Um, if there was a function, whether at home or at a friend's, I was just always that girl that just volunteers herself to be cooking, to be Mm. doing the the arrangements, and I I knew that you know this is it for me. I need to find ways to make this a business, but I think um, you know the moment of, of truth must have come when I was at varsity. And I used to hate the food I think I must have lost something like 15 kilograms From the food that was being served It was just horrible And, you know, let alone that you, you're so far away <coughs> Far away from home You know, you're missing home You're missing your mom's mm. cooking And now you're being subjected to eating this horrible food So I knew then that, you know, something has to mm. give
0: Yeah Yeah. Look, okay, I, I must say, I'm, I'm an extremely spoiled person my, my my children call my wife Mommy Nagella," So I'm extremely <laughs> spoilt. I have a wife with an excellent uh, cooking skill set And mm-hmm. I can appreciate the fact that Yeah, you just You know This food that gets put in front of you At an establishment You kind of look at this and you go mm-hmm. uh, Yeah, no thanks <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
1: I'm sort of stuck on the I volunteered part Yeah <laughs> I used to think that was the worst torture ever <laughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I'm not the only one who feels that way. I think it's maybe because you work at TrueWorths. Yeah, I think <laughs> so. Okay, so.
0: So it's the TrueWorths team and the food team. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so ladies, two very different industries. Okay, however, growing up and, and interestingly, I mean, both from small villages, coming mm-hmm. through the accounting stream. Sorry, Sophia, the accountant's <laughs> rule here three to one. <laughs> coming through the accounting stream. And yet, then, and going to very diverse industries. But the question I want to ask you is: challenges that are facing women in the industries in which you operate. I mean, you know, these are not industries that are. Well, I guess you could say that catering. I guess is slightly in the woman direction, but even you know, and healthcare, you could argue nurses and like. But but the reality is, these are two very very hard industries to operate in okay they're not they're not the let's call it the milk and honey stuff just give me some insights as as women entrepreneurs operating in the in the in the space and particularly black women entrepreneurs operating in the space what are some of the let's call them industry challenges that face women in your industries what do you see out there from your side what do you see
2: so with uh, catering, yes, there's a lot of—I mean, there's thousands of catering companies um, out there. Um, but given the stream or, or you know the focus that I chose earlier on, which is you know catering to corporates, that was difficult yeah. because you you usually get stereotyped to being the funeral caterer or the wedding caterer. So <laughs> I didn't want that because I wanted a little bit more sustainability and. Um, you know, that, j- just knowing where I was going to get my money from. Mm. And that's why I focus on the corporates. But, you know, breaking into the corporate, um, glass, uh, as it were, it- it's really, really difficult. Because, um, unlike government, I, I, my experience has been that government um, is um, mandated or compelled to advertise mm. uh, openly, publicly, uh, any business <coughs> opportunities that are available for entrepreneurs. Mm. So with corporates, um, really, you know, they work on a lot of bidding, uh, closed bidding processes. So you have to be known. You have to be in, in the circle, you know, for you to be invited to mm. bid uh, and to partake in, in the RFPs that do come up. So you know there was a lot of having to go out and market myself and prove myself that I know what I'm talking about. You know, to ask somebody to entrust you with their staff management contract is not an uh, you know walk in the park. It's it's it's, an, mm. it's a very um, it's a huge risk. It's a mm. it's a huge responsibility. So it it did take a lot, um, you know, for me to clinch that first one, which led to the second and third. Mm. Yeah. So
0: track track record is obviously a really important. And I mean, mm. uh, you'll you'll attest to this, particularly in the investment management space. Track record is everything. Yes, it is. Um, I mean, challenges that you've seen out
1: there. Um, I think in the investment industry or private equity industry, the one biggest challenge is that it's dominated by men. Mm. Um, so you expected to dress in a certain way, speak in a certain way as well. So if you come in as a woman. Um, First thing is when you, let's say you get into a meeting um, You walk in, you're the only woman First, everyone will stare at you And you're thinking, is there something wrong with me Or what's going on um, And they actually don't listen much to you Until obviously then they start working with you They actually realize, oh okay Maybe there's something here, we can actually listen to her So, I mean That goes on for a long time Even when you have the credentials And you have the qualifications And everything else that comes with mm-hmm. your name You actually still struggle because Women are not necessarily taken that serious at the first glance. And even when they take you serious, there's still other things that come into play. For instance, they'll um, start looking at you. Are you married? When do you think you'll get married? Have any kids or whatever? Because I guess all of that, you know, affects the number of hours that you have to work. So there's a lot of things that you actually have to go through as a woman in that industry as well. Mm. Um, I think it's changing now, though. Um, there's a lot of women that we've seen coming up the ranks, and, um, I guess it's, it's also highly driven by the legislation as well. So, mm, yeah. Yeah.
0: Now, I mean, in terms of growing your respective businesses in the, in the current climates and, and moving forward, I mean, you've, you've both got very established businesses that you're mm-hmm. involved with. How do you, how do you grow from here? You know, it's one thing to say, okay, well we've done transactions, we've got clients. How do you how do you grow your businesses as a black woman entrepreneur in South Africa today? How do you get that growth catalyst to work for you? Level?
2: So what I've done in my business, um, in July I hired a sales rep. Um, but, you know, she wasn't just going to be uh, A sales rep um, I was going to give her a little bit more of the farming to do mm-hmm. Because I was finding that As as um, more I was getting more and more Customers, you know, start suddenly starting To become rather reactive With how I was managing my relationships So I thought, okay, we'll put a uh, You know, farming mandate onto the lady And still also Task her with bringing new customers uh, But it's a joint effort um, So, you know, I, I continue to be out there looking for customers. Yes, it is a different climate that we're working on and remember catering is one of those um, services that people think they can really cut back on. It's one of the first ones they do cut back on when suddenly the company is going through financial constraints.
0: That that always amazes me because I thought the old (laughs) adage was an army runs on its stomach. So if if you want your staff to be happy, feed them properly.
2: Feed them properly, but you can have a meeting, you know, without food necessary, or you know that big spread. You know, just keep it to uh, some biscuits. Some fries, <laughs> <laughs> and stuff. it's
0: austerity measures. It's now bakers. Bought <laughs> <laughs> exactly. from the local pick and bake. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Mm. Where, where's that growth going to come from? Okay.
1: So, with our business being in the healthcare industry, if you look at the South African um, healthcare system, it has a whole lot of challenges. Um, we have the three big um companies, which is your netcare MediClinic, clinic and, and Life hospitals, that actually dominate the whole market. but the biggest problem is that we have at least eighty percent of the population being served by your public health care mm-hmm. system, which is not efficient and um under resourced and we've got twenty percent um of the population. Being served by your big three companies. So, what do we actually want to do? Is we want to acquire the low end facilities Mm -hmm. and with an aim to consolidate those. Now, when we actually consolidated that it actually allows um, the economies of scale, it gives all the other independent hospitals that are currently struggling um, a bargaining power. I mean, you can now at least be at a position where you can negotiate with medical aid schemes. Uh, you can be in a position where you can um, negotiate with um, your suppliers in terms of your procurement of um, medication and everything else that you need to procure. And also you can actually try and look at putting them in the same platform in terms of your IT. So that's how we expect to extract some efficiencies mm. there and actually grow the business and um, also hope to bring um, the medical cost um, down. Mm. Yeah.
0: was volunteering to do your catering Absolutely. for you. <laughs> <laughs> we can definitely <laughs> take that, that, that. I saw that connection yes, I saw that. <laughs> yeah. I, And 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 I think just on that, I mean… Yeah, we're we're laughing about it here in studio, but the reality is, it is the networks of business people that meet and engage that that allow opportunities to flow. I Absolutely. mean, you, you, to your comment earlier of, you know, you need to go out there and find and seek, and in private enterprise, it's really you know you have to be invited in, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, and I mean, that that's the one thing that's that's always amazed me is how how you can find yourself invited in or locked out by those relationships mm-hmm. of the past and, and what's happened in, in the past in your company. Yeah. Now, I mean, just one of my, um, I always ask the question, I mean, what has been the biggest challenge in your business to date? So that big that big thing that came staring, that was staring you down at some point in the past that really made, made you step back and, and really... I guess grit your teeth and push through it I guess otherwise you wouldn't be here today but what was that one big challenge can you share that with us? Level?
2: There's a lot. I think. <laughs> you got a <laughs> list. Yeah, but I think for me, if I do, you know, track back, the one constant thing is um, it's cash flow management for a company that is growing and dealing with corporates, you know, because believe it or not, they don't also always pay as well. Oh, oh, time, I, 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 can, I can tell, ta- ta- <laughs> I can tell you,
0: a corporate, a corporate accounts. Are becoming increasingly more difficult to service.
2: Yes, so mm. that is a challenge for a growing company, because um, and and you know often I find uh, I'm faced with having to make very tough decisions where the same corporate that owes you so much money they're continuously placing orders. You know, Mm -hmm. for you to cater to them So that has been the biggest one To try and manage the relationship So you don't alienate the customers You know, you continue to build That warm and fuzzy uh, relationship With the same client While still being firm, you know Enough to say, hey, I do need to get paid You know, for me to keep servicing you I need the money to flow Mm -hmm. That that has been the biggest thing I think we're getting it right In a lot of ways, you know I, I found during my journey of entrepreneurship i 've had to find my voice i 've had to it 's almost like I was um, i don 't know like muted like I could not speak out, I could not shout and say, "Hey, pay me you know that was like the, the single most difficult thing to do but i 've learned to ask for 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 my money i 've learned to mm. be asked to be paid, and mm. I find that you know we 're making um, you know good strides in that mm. department
0: well, I must tell you i 'm constantly amazed at how. Some corporates believe that they should be funded from their smaller supplier base
2: yeah it just
0: it, it just astounds me, and i mean we 've often talked about it on the show the need for large corporates to realize that the way they support smaller growing businesses is by making sure that they pay them on time mm-hmm. and they don 't give them the run around um, and yeah i mean i i 've heard very sadly of you know let 's call them off the books incentive systems running in corporates where uh, people are told you know if you manage to delay payment by x days we'll actually incentivize you in the in the payments environment, which is is really scary, mm-hmm. and that Did sort of thing that? Ha- <laughs> that sort of thing starts happening mm. Well, what What has been your biggest challenge to date? What have you seen as your biggest challenge?
1: I think our biggest challenge has always been capital, so to raise the funds that you actually require takes a whole lot, and you need. I guess a team and a track record and I think when I think back to three years ago when we started with the unlisted fund, um we had the advantage of having the capital which we could use as equity, but we still needed to get the debt funding for most of our transactions. And when we were actually doing that, the commercial banks were not very Warm in terms of, well, no welcoming in terms of funding healthcare because it's not like your typical um, transaction where you know you've got a buyer. I mean, you need to work on, you know, people are gonna get sick, they've got medical aid and all of that. So it took a whole lot for us to actually convince them to get them to give us that debt funding. And I think we've made uh, good strides. we three years into it now, and we've got banks knocking at our doors to... Hmm. Now, they, now, now they want to talk to you. Of yes, now they actually do want to talk to us. So I mean, we've, we've made good progress there. Okay. Yeah.
0: Now, in the last minute or two for each of you, please, one question that I always ask all people that come to studio... This is your opportunity to do a pay-it-forward moment. What do you know now that you did not know when you started out in business that if you had heard back then on a radio station like ours, what is the one thing that you would like to give a future entrepreneur? A pay-it-forward moment. The good old pay-it-forward. What is the one thing that you would say? Hey, remember this, or think about that, and it's going to take away pain from somebody else.
2: I think for me, the biggest thing I've learned in the last year, Sophia, is um, uh, understanding how your own personal values also, you know, form your business values, and how. You know, ultimately, the clients that you, you, you seek rather, or the clients that you're gonna find you've got very good relationships with, um, are the ones where the values don't clash. Because I've had to really do a, a lot of introspection at some point, you know, where I had relationships that were not working, only to realize that there was a value clash. So okay. early on, learn about your own personal values and what they are and know that that is what's going to become fundamentally, you know, the the, the foundation of your your business. Okay, great. Well, yeah.
1: um, I think for me, it's networking. Um, I think generally as women, we find it very difficult to network and we take it for granted. Um, but for you to get anywhere in business, you actually need the networking. Um, you need to create useful partnerships. And I think you just need to understand that not everyone is going to like your story. Certain people are going to like your story. Certain people are going to criticize your story and never believe in it. But just keep believing in what you want and follow through. Mm-hmm.
0: Follow through. Believe in yourself.
1: Mm. Yes. And I think that's a very important thing, especially… Um, probably for all entrepreneurs, but specifically for women is, when someone, that one person doesn't believe in your story, you make it so universal and you start, mm-hmm. to, you start to doubt yourself. Yes, And you that's do. such an important thing to yeah. not succumb to. Well, it does happen. You start to doubt yourself, but the yeah. key thing is doubt yourself and wake up the next day and still continue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, Kazi, Level, thank you very much. It's been great chatting to you. It's been great learning a little bit more about you and about your businesses. Some great insights from today's interview. Thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it being here.
2: Thanks for having me
0: Richard. Next up, our youth leadership platform. This is
2: CliffCentral.com.